Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. We are finishing up our series today, Jesus On, where over the past four weeks, we've talked about some of the most controversial stuff in our day. We talked about privilege. We talked about politics. We talked about love. We talked about greatness. We talked about money. So that'll actually be five. Uh, And today, we're going to finish up by talking about marriage. Talking about marriage. What a loaded word. Uh, For some, this brings up feelings of joy, happiness, bliss. For others, it brings up hurt, shame, guilt, and pain. And today, I'm not trying to poke at wounds. I'm, I'm... I, I, I really believe that in the culture we have, we have, if there is a time, we've got to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you have to tell us and teach us about marriage? And really the purpose of this series is because so many times we can forget what Jesus has to say about stuff. We can be so, so shaped and formed by what the culture is saying, by what, whatever news agency is saying, that we can actually forget what Jesus has to say about some, of the most contro- about some of the most controversial stuff. So in this series, we've been trying to help you and say, let's stop saying, well, what does that person say? What, the, like, what does Jesus say? Because we can forget it. And I don't think it's, it's ever more needed than in this area of marriage. So today we're going to focus on that. And before I start, like I said, this when talking about marriage. There can be wounds, hurts. I mean, it it can be a really painful time. So let me start off by saying this. Jesus loves you. I say that with everything in my being. Jesus loves you. If you've been hurt and cheated on by somebody and you are divorced and uh, I mean, Jesus loves you. Maybe you were the one that, that, that did the cheating. And you were the one that called for the divorce. And, and you know, within, in your past, like you, you've done things you know that aren't. I want to let you, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And you can even see this within Jesus' ministry. A couple situations that stick out to me is John chapter 8 with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, was brought to Jesus. I mean, just imagine this. is brought to Jesus. This woman, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, got a woman, caught her in the middle of doing the act of adultery, brought her before Jesus, and they said, Jesus, our law says you should stone her. What do you say? And I was just struck by how loving and caring and protective Jesus was of this woman. He said, y'all, if any of you was without sin, you'd throw the first stone. Jesus was loving and kind to those that were running far from him. He protected the woman. He said, get away. I also think about, too, when the interaction Jesus had in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well where Jesus was talking with her and he asked her for a drink of water and they started a conversation and and Jesus, who had prophetic insight, told her, hey, um, go and get your husband and bring him here. And she said, I don't have one. And Jesus is like, you're absolutely right. You've had five husbands and even the man you're with right now is not your husband. And do you know what Jesus did to her? He loved her. He, he acknowledged her. He gave her dignity and, and he told her what he came to do. He came to give her living water, life. And he led her to him. He was not condemning. He was not shaming. He was not guilting. And that's simply what I want to do today. I want to take you and lead you to Jesus. 
and say, what does Jesus have to say to those in marriages, in those with struggling marriages, and with those that have wrecked their marriages, and they are out of marriages. I just want to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand today. And I pray that you see in just these two examples, Jesus' heart for you, that he loves you and wants the best for you. Just to be candid, the number one request for help we get at our church is marriages, by far. The biggest request and cry for helps we get at LifeHouse is marriage. It's tough. I don't care how holy you are, rich you are, good-looking you are. Marriage does not discriminate. It's hard and difficult. So if you're struggling, welcome to the club. Can I get in? Amen. Write it in the comment section. But I know there's some of you, your marriage is great, it's awesome, and we say, God bless you, you're, you're great too. But hey, you know, there's a few extremes that I see concerning marriage within our church and culture. The first one is, is this, where if you aren't married, you are, kind of second, you are kind of seen as being a second-class citizen. And that really, too, marriage is kind of the ultimate state of being. And you've probably seen this within the church where we have been guilty, where we have been guilty in the church of almost taking marriage and propping it up to be the most important state that you could have, which unfortunately makes many of our singles feel less than. If that has been you, and if you've experienced that or felt that from us, that your singleness is not God's best or singleness makes you secondary, you know, it makes you second class. I want to apologize and I want to remind you and remind me that Jesus Christ himself, who was God in the form of man, the most complete human being, that was the full display of God and had complete happiness, was a single man who never had sex. So don't let your singleness become a stumbling block and get you thinking that because you are single, you're second class, or because you're single, you can't live a fully satisfied life. Because what we see from Jesus's life is he was fully satisfied in the love of his God, the love of the Father. And you can be also, even if you are single. And I think in the church, we've got to be careful not to prop marriage up as being the ultimate God. But also, too, the other, ex, the, so you've got one extreme that's, that says, you know, marriage is the all in all. But then you've, you've got the other extreme that says marriage, or that actually marriage can be looked at as just being a contract. Where it's, 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 it's kind of something where if you like it, you can do it. But at the same time, if you don't, if, if you don't enjoy it, you can just th- throw it off. And I think for so many in the church, they view marriage as a contract instead of a covenant, a contract that can just be thrown out whenever you don't like it or whenever it's not convenient instead of actually seeing it as a covenant the way that God does. So, so the thing is this, no matter where you're at on that extreme, where you find yourself, if you find yourself in the middle, the point is we have to ask, what would Jesus say to these extremes and to everything in the middle. So here's the thing, right? What I'm going to do today is actually start at the actual end of one of the parts of scripture where Jesus talked about marriage and divorce. And really in the most extended part where Jesus talked about divorce and marriage was in Matthew chapter 19, verses 2 through 
11, but we're going to actually look at verse number 10 um, and, and actually see what Jesus' disciples, when Jesus got done teaching and talking about marriage, what his disciples, his followers actually said that I think will, that might make you feel good about, uh, about yourself. Why? Because we're going to actually see how the disciples responded to some of the hard truths that Jesus said. So in Matthew 19, 10, it says, it says this here, Jesus' disciples then said to him, and this was after he taught about marriage and divorce, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. And Jesus responded back, not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God Help. So if you hear me say things today that you're like, that's a hard truth. Like that's, that's really hard to accept. You're in the same boat that many of Jesus's followers as Jesus is the, the Jesus's disciples said back in the day as well. Cause I guarantee today, I'm probably going to say something you don't uh, agree with, but what I, but what I would encourage you to do is not to bail out, but to lean in. I think sometimes what we can do in church is whenever we hear something that we don't like, we actually, instead of leaning in and say, help me understand why you think that and why you teach that, instead of, you know, what people tend to do is they just bail out and, dis- and disappear. And what I would encourage you to do is, 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 is if there is something that I say today that you're like, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I'm not sure if I see why. John, can you help me like to actually like send me an email or or reach out to us and say, John, can you help me understand more why you believe that and why you teach that, right? Because I believe this, as the family of God, we all have different experiences. We all have, we just all have differences that we have to come together and really honestly, sincerely say scripture. We know that we have different opinions, experiences, but we have to come to scripture and to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say? And collectively say, how can we follow more closely what Jesus said, no matter what state, no matter what opinion, no matter what experiences we have. So you ready to dive in? All right, let's do it. All right. So the first thing that I believe Jesus says that when I study what, what he taught is this, put marriage in its proper place. So we're going to be in the, in the book of Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 36. We're going to read a pretty lengthy portion of scripture here. So follow me. All right. It says, then Jesus was approached by some, by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife, but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us, Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, marriage is for people here on, here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. Now, let me take all of that and break it down to you and, and share with you what Jesus was actually saying. So you, you had these religious leaders coming in, asking him an honestly ridiculous question, saying this woman had seven hus- husbands die. So when she gets to heaven, whose husband is she going to be? And do you know what Jesus says? There's not going to be marriage in heaven. So do you know what Jesus is saying? Marriage is not eternal. 
I know some of y'all's heads just exploded. Like, what Jesus is marriage is for this earth. And when you get to heaven, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you get to heaven, I don't know if, if we're going to be caring about who we're married to or who we were married to while on earth. Does this mean you, you, you won't know your spouse? I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm not sure. Am I saying that marriage is not important? Then I'm absolutely not. Jesus makes it clear in other parts of Scripture that marriage is vitally important. But the truth is it's not eternal. It's temporary. And here's why this is important. Because we need to treat marriage like it's temporary and our relationship with God like it's eternal, which it is. Is. The thing is this, marriage is a good thing, but it's not a God thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And unfortunately, what I see is that even sometimes within the church and culture, marriage becomes what? An idol. Where we can even put it above God. When honestly, what Jesus is saying here, marriage is temporary, but your relationship with God is eternal. Therefore, take that and in your priority system on earth put marriage in its proper place. Now you might think, John, like, isn't doing that going to make marriage worse? And I don't think so. I think it would actually make it better. Why? Because when you have a rightly ordered relationship with the Lord, it can't help but translate into the relationship with your husband or wife. That's why I tell couples, one of the best things you can do for your relationship with each other is to prioritize your personal relationships with the Lord. Because the thing, as you get closer to Jesus and the, and the Holy Spirit works in you, the fruit of that is going to be shown in how you love and serve others, most notably your spouse. Because here is that where I think we can actually get messed up is when we put our spouse before God. And what you end up doing then is you put a weight on your spouse that they were never meant to actually carry. When you put your spouse before God, what you're saying is, I trust you spouse to be my source of joy, my completeness, my happiness, like, I, like you are putting a weight that only should be put on God, on your spouse who is finite and sinful and is going to fail, fail you. So inevitably, whenever you put that weight on them, it's going to crush them because they are inevitably going to fail you at some point. But the thing is this, whenever you say, I'm not going to put that weight on you, I'm going to put my desire for, for fulfillment and hope and love and forgiveness in Jesus, the one who can actually handle it, the one who, who actually showed it and gives it, whenever you do that, then you can actually view your spouse rightly and view them through the lens of the love and grace and forgiveness that God has given you. You can then give it to your spouse instead of demanding it from your spouse. And so then what happens? You love and serve each other, not because you you know, you, you view them as above God, but because of you view God rightly and you receive God's love and then you can give God's love to, to each other. So this past year in, 20, in 2020, um, just to be somewhat candid with you, like um, Kristen and I, we had a really hard season in our marriage. I would probably say back in March. So much so that we got to the point where we pretty much said, you know what, I think we are at a point where we don't have the tools in our toolbox to fix this. And so, but also too though, we, we also saw the problem wasn't just what we were doing together. The problem was 
is that we had things personally that we had to work through and work out and give to the, and give to the Lord and have some things worked out in us indiv- individually. But at the same time, we got into counseling Cor- corporately. You might say, but John, you're the pastor. Yeah, that doesn't matter, right? Marriage is hard. Don't matter your pastor. Don't matter who you, who, you, who you are. And the reason I'm telling you that is because there are some of you struggling right now in silence and there are some of you struggling so bad that you know you need to reach out and get help but you don't have but but you've kind of got this mindset of well what are people going to think and what are people going to you know you because you because you've wanted to put this perception out like you've got a great relationship but you know inside of the relationship it's not that great and you need help but you've got pride so hopefully me just telling you that releases you to, to be like if you need help if you need counseling if things are not good reach out and get help. Kristen and I did. Because why? There were things we had to work on individually and corporately that we just knew we didn't have the tools in our toolbox to fix. And so thankfully, by God's grace, we got into counseling. But the biggest thing that we did in that we did to, to get our relationship to a point where I think we are the healthiest we have ever Ben is not because of the counseling we did together, but the but the work we did individually to get our heart, our mind, and spirit right before God. Because honestly, the truth is this: I would say in our relationship, not a whole lot has changed except us. She still does things that annoys me. I still do things that uh, that annoy her. Like we we still have patterns and we still have triggers and we still have things that we are working through and walking through but we can say we handle and see those things so much differently and we walk through it so much more healthier now not because of the work we've done together which has been good but because of the work we've done individually and that's what I want to encourage you to do sometimes the best thing you can do in your relationship isn't to work but is to work separately why because when you work on your relationship with God it will not but show in the way you treat your spouse. I know this seems backwards, but when you behold God for who he is, you'll rightly in value and behold your spouse. Now, I've taught at, at Lifehouse before that there are three different stages in marriage. You, you've kind of got like back-to-back, side-to-side, and face-to-face. And that, and that the ultimate place you want to be at is face-to-face intimacy with your spouse, right? But I, I think I want to add one more thing to that. So I'm going to actually have Lacey, she, she's here, welcome, welcome her here. Typically in, in relationships, and some of you are walking through this right, right now, you feel this where some of you feel like, like you're just kind of like side by side. It's more like your teammates, right? You're, you're, you're getting the kids you know, not sick, you're trying to get groceries, trying to keep the house clean, and you just feel like, you're going through life and instead of there actually being a relationship, a deep, intimate relationship with your spouse, it just kind of feels like side to side and you're just doing life together, trying to get through, pay the bills and survive. But some of you feel like this though. You feel back to back where y'all are just against each other. Like you're going one way, she's going the other way and there is no unity, there's no cooperation, there is no syner- syner- there, there, there is no synergy. It's a, it literally feels like this is your relationship right now where you don't have, like, y'all are just struggling, you're back to back. And really, if you're in this stage, you need to reach out and get help, okay? But then, too, though, 
the place that, that I've always taught you want to be is kind of like face-to-face, -face, where it's like, yes, it's intimate and it's great and like you said, beautiful, it's all great. But what I've also seen in this stage here is that the more you stare at somebody, the more you see their imperfections. The more you can almost see, like the longer you stare at something, it's like, you know, and, and, you know, and really I think we go through those stages, right, where, where you kind of have moments of great intimacy, then it becomes moments of side by side, then you'll have stages like, like this here. But honestly, what, what I think I've taught wrongly is this whole thing of like, be face to face. That's the kind of best state you can be in. When honestly, I think the best state you can actually be in now is not just being face, face to face intimacy, but then both of you look up to God. And the thing is this, as you behold who God is and what God's like and the love that God has for you, you can then view your spouse the right way. You can view them the way that God, the God views, views them. And plus two, as you're, as you're looking up, you are receiving. And because you can't give love, you've never been given. So the thing is, is as, as you're looking up and you're beholding the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of God, you are receiving it, which then allows you then to be like, you can give it to the other person. As you, thank you, Lacey, as you rightly behold God, you will rightly see and prioritize your spouse. So now we're going to shift gears and we're going to look at a portion of scripture that is the longest recorded teaching from Jesus about marriage, like I said, that includes divorce. We're going to read it and see the last two things that Jesus, the, the, the kind of the two big things, that the two big last things that Jesus emphasized about marriage. Okay, so we're going to read Matthew 19, 2 through 11, actually starting in verse number three. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, and we said this, this part earlier, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those to whom God has helped. So let's unpack this here. We don't have time to unpack everything, but I want to point out two important things that Jesus said. First off, marriage is a picture. Marriage is a picture. So when the Pharisees asked him about divorce, what does Jesus reference? At, at, at the beginning, he goes back and references Genesis chapter 2, verses 17 and 24, but specifically verse number 24. So you've got Jesus quoting the book of Genesis. Like that does a couple things. First off, it validates the Old Testament because I think sometimes we can think the Old Testament, it's just old. So because it's old, it's bad. And because it's old and it's bad, we should not read it, learn it, or glean from it. It's just, it's just, in, the, it's just in the past. But Jesus himself goes back to creation in Genesis chapter 2 when referencing what marriage is and what marriage is like. He goes to scripture. Jesus and Jesus does that, right? But he goes and he quotes 
Genesis 2, verse number 24, specifically when it says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. If, if you would, right now, type the word one in the comment section as a way of shouting it at me, all right? Because if you were alive, I would say, everyone say one. Now, this idea and picture of two people becoming one is not just a foreign, a foreign idea. What it actually is, it is a picture. Marriage is a picture of who God actually is, right? You've probably heard this term Trinity, that God is a Trinity. He's three yet one. That is a Christian doctrine and a Christian teaching that we believe in where you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and those three are all equal, they're all unique, they're all separate, yet they are all make and form one God. Separate, distinct, and unique, yet one. Now, what God is putting in place here, what God put in place in Genesis, and what Jesus is reiterating marriage is, is marriage is a picture where two people, separate, unique, right? Separate, unique, and separate, right? They come together and they become one. Two becoming one. So then here's the truth, right? Marriage then is not just for your happiness. Marriage is actually a picture of who God is. Check this out in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Whenever it says, hear, O, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The same Hebrew word used when it says that the, the, the when it says that the two became one flesh that hebrew word is ikad is the same word used whenever it says the lord our god is one in deuteronomy 6 4 it's that hebrew word ikad it's saying the lord our god is one he's three yet one M marriage is about two becoming one marriage is more about a picture of who god is and what god is actually like. So the thing is this, marriage is a seen way to understand a God that cannot be seen. I know that might sound deep, but marriage is a picture. It's a way to understand the God we serve and the God that cannot be seen, right? When I'm explaining to my kids who God is and what God's like, the main picture that I use is I, is I use mommy and daddy. As I say, in the same way that mommy and daddy are separate, unique, and distinct Yet we are one because we've made a covenant with each other to love and serve each other. That is the picture of who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I hope, and hopefully whenever you see this, that your affections and your imagination, they start going and seeing and that you start saying that marriage is so much more than just about your happiness, but marriage is actually a picture to share and show the world who God is, what God's like, and how God operates. What an opportunity we have in marriage to be able to share and show who God is and what God's like, not just to the world, but, but spouses being able to show who God is and what God's like to each other because that's what it, that's what the opportunity within marriage is. It's the opportunity to make a covenant to your spouse and say to them, I want to show you who God is and what God's like by being in this relationship. And Paul, he actually talks about this in, in, in the famous part of Scripture in Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 33. That's what Paul said. And further submit to one, to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. And what Paul is saying here is, is that it's not just the wife submitting to the husband, but it's actually the husband submits to the wife and the wife submits to the husband in marriage. That's how you have a healthy, godly, loving marriage is the husband and wife submitting to each other. But then he goes into practically what does that look like? And then he goes and we'll just go. It says for wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, here we go, look at, look at what Paul quotes. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. What is Paul quoting? He's quoting Genesis. He's quoting the same exact scripture that Jesus did when Paul himself says, let me go back to creation and show you marriage is a picture, the ultimate picture of who God is and what God's like, but also in marriage. When you get married, spouses have the opportunity to show each other through the way they love, through the way they serve, who God is and what God like. Marriage is just not about your happiness. Marriage is about the opportunity to show your spouse more of who God is through the way you love them and serve them and honor them. And then Paul goes on to say, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Do you see this? I pray you're getting this. I pray this is not complicating the snot out of you, but I pray that you're seeing. And what I'm hoping that you get is that when you get married, you are one. I know you're separate, you're unique, you're distinct. You got your own physical body, but at the same time in the spirit, when you make a covenant to each other, you literally become one. And what Paul says here, guys and girls, if you mistreat your own body, you're just not mistreating your own body. You're mistreating your spouse. If you mistreat your spouse, you're actually mistreating your own body. It is a mystery of the two becoming one. But in God's eyes, that is what happens. And so because that is what happens, because it is this covenant, because it is a picture of who God is and what God's like. That is why Jesus was so emphatic that what God joined together, let nobody separate. And this is our final point here. And this is probably one of, one of the most difficult ones because it's hard to talk about marriage without talking about divorce. And I know even the sound of that word for some of you, you're, you almost have these triggers. It's like it triggers abuse or it triggers betrayal or it triggers trauma. Like you're, you know, because of the years and years you, you have experienced or you're currently experiencing or you did experience hurt and pain and brokenness. And that word divorce can cause a bunch of different emotions. But let me go back to what I said at the beginning. Jesus loves you. No matter what situation you found yourself in, you find yourself in, or you might find yourself in in the future. Jesus loves you. But let me tell you, let me be clear about two things. And these are going to sound oxymoronish, but hopefully you see and you hear my heart. God hates divorce, and God is full of grace, kindness, forgiveness, and 
mercy. And in between these two truths, there are a lot of unique and nuanced situations. Scripturally, the only two, the only two reasons that I see and most theologians see of why divorce would even be permitted is sexual unfaithfulness and, and abandonment. You can see in the scriptures we read in, math, in, in, in Matthew 19, Jesus, Jesus mentions the divorce, um, you know, that, that it says that anyone who divorces except for sexual immorality, sexual unfaithfulness, and marries, an, and marries someone else commits adultery. Right? But then you see Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He, he, he states that in some situations, a spouse leaves. And he says, if a spouse leaves and there's nothing you can actually do, like if you try to pursue reconciliation, but they're not a Christian and they just bail and they just leave, there's not a whole lot you can do. And that would also serve as a possible permissive way or a possible permissive path to, to do a divorce. But I think that we can say this, God's heart is always reconciliation. God's heart is always reconciliation. Now, I know there's situations and, circum and circumstances where that might not be doable. And, and the truth is this, right? I think sometimes whenever we hear stuff like this, some people, some of you are in, are, are in extremely abusive relationships like physically abusive, mentally abusive, verbally abusive re relationships. And what I would tell you is do not suffer in silence, get help. If you're a part of Lifehouse Church and you are a part of a relationship like that, part of being a part of a church family is, is saying, you know what, if there's something going on in your new relationship where there's struggle, abuse going on, get out and tell somebody in authority. If there's physical abuse going on, go to the authorities, go to the, like get, get help. It's not about suffering in silence or suffering just to stay married, right? It's, it's like go to the, take a step of saying this is dysfunctional. This is not right. And get help now, right? But the thing is this, right? I know, and I can't speak to every situation. I can't give you every single, because I know when you start talking about this, John, like, but John, what about, but John, what about, but John, but John, but John. And that's why I would say, if you are walking in a, situ in a situation where you're not sure, don't walk through it by yourself. Get somebody that is godly, that is wise, that is in authority and say, can you help me think through this and process this? Why? Because like, here's, here's the thing. We believe that marriage is not just, a, like we see Jesus saying, it's not just a contract. It's not just something, you know, because one of the things he bashed the Pharisees for was that you just write a, write, you, you just write a certificate, a contract, and send your wife away. Or send, I mean, you just send them away. It's like, are you kidding me? No. When, when you join together, let no man separate. It is a covenant that whenever you get married, whenever you stood at the altar, you were not just making a covenant to that person. It was not just two people there and the pastor there. You were standing on holy ground where you were stating to the other person through, through poor, rich, sickness, health, I will, you are stuck with me. You are stuck with me. And I feel like there's some of you right now, you need to be reminded of those vows you made. You need to be reminded of those, of what you told your wife, because things right now are not easy. It 
it really is tough. But at the same time, there isn't abuse going on. You're just having struggles, issues, and you want to get out. But what I'm gonna encourage you to do is not to strive to get out. The work that you would strive to work on getting out, strive to work and saying, let's work on this relationship. Why? Because the thing is this, the covenant you made to your spouse stood at the altar and say, I give you my life. I give you my everything. I give it to you is is almost the same kind of covenant that Jesus made with us. And actually what that marriage covenant is modeled after. Because honestly, think of what if Jesus loved you with a contract love? What if Jesus loved you with a contract style love? We would all be, and I'm, 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 I'm saying we'd be screwed. We, it would not be good because and at any moment, Jesus, you didn't live up to your, to your end of the bargain. You're gone. But Jesus doesn't love you and I with a contract love. He loves us with a covenant love, sealed, signed, and delivered by what he did on the cross in our place and for our sin. And when he rose from death, he defeated Satan, sin, and the grave. And because of the covenant he made, the laying down of his life that he did, he forever said to you and me, I'm stuck with you. Jesus is not giving up on you. He will not give up on you. He's always about reconciliation. He's always about saying, how can we make this right? Because my covenant is secure, solid, and firm. And that is the relationship, God's relationship to us that is the fuel, the fire, and the example when it comes to the kind of relationship we should have in our marriage. Saying, I'm stuck with you. I don't like you. (laughs) You do some annoying things. We're, we're, we're different. You like hot. I like cold. I mean, I, my wife and I are completely different. Like, I'm, I'm in the house sweating to death. She's like, it's, it's just great. Right? She's gluten-free. I'm not gluten-free. She like, I, I love sports. She can't stand sports. She likes, you know, reading books with stories. I like reading, like, I don't want to, like, just tell me what to do. We are completely different. But when we stood at the altar and we said we are in this thing, what we've told each other is you are stuck with me. And that's what I think some of you need to know. That is what God says about you. He's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. He is, he has made his covenant. He has said, I do to you. He is with you. He is for you. And some of you need to be reminded of that because that is the, that is the example of the relationship between you and God, his commitment to you and your commitment to him that is the, the fuel and the example for the kind of relationship God wants you and your spouse to have. But what I found is this, is that if this is not right, it's going to be hard to get this right. But y'all, here's the thing. Marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757 650-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehousenn.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.